Real Men Feel with Andy Grant encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been told, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but all men can benefit from. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now let's get to it. Hello and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. If you're paying attention, you may recall that in the last episode, I said it was the final show of 2020. Guess what? I lied. And I lied for a great reason, because... I had the opportunity to meet someone that was doing a great event that I got to be a part of, and we wanted to get in there and talk about it before the year is out. Um, is that the best way to say this? Yeah, it feels very spur of the moment, and just, you know, it's not its not that life throws you a curveball. Life throws you opportunities, right? And so I encourage you to grab them. So I'm grabbing this opportunity because it's great to talk to my um, guest today is a mental health advocate, creator of the Emotional Freedom Virtual Summit for Men and Those That Love Him. And that's what I was part of. He's creating a, a mental health summit online, a virtual event. So I want to welcome to the show, Martin Fretwell. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. And it was a very good lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't, well, I could say, yeah, it was not an intentional lie, but I'm always, I, I've always say I'm, I'm, I'm glad to discover that I've been wrong about things. So there's mm-hmm. no, I was wrong. Thought we were done. We're not. Yeah. So, yeah. There's still more to the year to go. Yeah. Right. Right. So you are, you have created this, men's virtual mental health summit so let, let's start there T- tell sure. me about this this yeah. thing yeah it's 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 interesting because like just beforehand we were talking about the name of it because it's called the emotional freedom summit but it's about men's mental health and i guess like even in my own head i'm still navigating the kind of the the connection between mental health and emotional health, right? And like in cricket, this is going to sound a bit of a strange analogy, but in cricket, a batsman can end up batting for several days, right? And and what they say is that takes incredible mental strength to stay without making a mistake for that long. And I'm like, is it mental strength though? Or is that emotional strength? Not being reactive to certain circumstances to make sure you don't make a mistake. And if you've maybe not scored any runs for a while, for those that know the rules of cricket, they'll know what I'm talking about. Just go with me. Um, but not make a mistake for such a long time takes certain emotional strength that you're not being reactive. You're not in reactionary mode. So I called it the emotional freedom summit because it really is about empowering emotions and utilizing your emotions, understanding them, feeling them, accepting them, whatever they are, but also recognizing that a lot of the way that we talk about that stuff is through the frame of mental health. Hmm. So I'm caught with this, this trajectory between emotional and, and mental health ideas. Yeah. Cause they're, they're- you know, I've never thought of this myself either consciously, uh, but yeah, mental health and emotional health, they're different to me. And you know, there's been a stigma about talking about either of them for a long time, but it does seem like, all right, mental health, mental wellness, mental, mental, mental mindset, like the, where that's being more comfortable with that. But yeah, if you had emotions, men and emotions, oh, that, that, that's, you know, you're going a little deeper now. That's the scary stuff. And you know, it's interesting about the, you know, uh, excelling in sports. Is it more of a mental game and an emotional game? you know, certainly emotional health 
is a part of mental health. I don't think you can be mentally well if you're an emotional wreck, but, but they're different. Like, do, do, do you agree with that or? Yeah, yeah. massively. Um, in fact, so much of the difficulties and challenges have in my life have been based on this frame of, I can think my way out of any problem, right? Particularly, I've always been into personal development. I've always been well-read, well-read, well-read. Uh, and so I've, I've even considered myself, to, you know, I consider myself to be an intelligent guy. So I've always thought I could think my way out of any problem. You know, I'll, I'll if I'm, working through something, I'll read a book on it and that will give me the thought process that I need to get through it. Yeah. But it was really so much of that was a mask of being afraid to actually do what needed to be done, which was the emotional work. Right. Right. And that's part of, you know, mental health. It keeps us, it's in our head, it's our brains and, and men are taught to, to think and to fix things and to be problem solvers. And, but the, the, the truth behind mental health, behind well-being is, you know, dropping your consciousness, your energy, yourself down into your heart and being willing to feel. Um, you, you can't think an emotion. At least I've never found a way to do that. It, it, you can think about avoiding it. You can think about how you can shut it down. You can yep. think about all the denial and resistance. But, yeah, emotions must be felt. They must be experienced. Yeah. But it's certainly a case of, particularly at the moment within men's work, we're not at the point where talking about emotions and emotional accessibility is a real thing within society. So I was like, with this, this, this brand that I thought was super accurate to what it actually is, this Emotional Freedom Summit, which is, you know, I think I've got 20 speakers now, all talking about their transformational story about how they've kind of utilized emotions in different ways to kind of move from survival mode into a thriving mode, their experiences with depression, with suicide, like your story. Um, and it all came through tapping into those emotions. But in the marketing of that, you realize that like that, that in of itself, that phrase in of itself turns so many people away. But a men's mental health topic is much more accessible. Yeah. So it's, it's a strange one. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I, I joke about this, this show. If, if this, if Real Men Fear was called Men Talking to Men or Men Being Men or Manly Show, whatever, it would, there'd be more attention because no, but no man is looking. How can I feel more? Like real men, like I, I'm, I'm yep. not playing the keyword game. I, I'm just like, no, this is, I, I just went straight to the core and people find that or don't. But regardless of all the naming conventions, why did you make this? Like, Well, ultimately it was, it's, it's effectively extending a handout to people that were, that are where I was. Um, because when, when I started on the journey of, healing. So I had my rock bottom in 2018. And when I started my journey of healing, I was, I'd basically surrendered to the idea that I didn't have the answers. So I was looking for, I don't know, for, for anything, for connection, for ideas, for new ways of thinking. And 
what, what an example that I have is one of the challenges that I've been experiencing for the past four or five years is with erectile dysfunction, but I've only really started to admit that to myself recently and started to actually embrace it, understand it and things like that. And so I was listening to this podcast on this very topic and for the first 20 minutes, the podcast host and the person that he was interviewing, which was a doctor that had no personal experience with it, spent 20 minutes talking about how amazing their own intimate relationships were. And there I was trying to get information about something that was painful to me. And I just felt so disconnected to so much of what I was kind of consuming about these topics. Even my experiences with depression didn't resonate to my understanding of depression. I thought it was like this black and white thing. You're either you're in it or you're out of it. And if I'm depressed, how come occasionally, I think we talked about this, how come occasionally I can still laugh? How come I can still be connected? How can I can still experience joy if I'm depressed? So I would resist the idea that I was depressed because it didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, so the aim of this summit is to kind of fill, fill that gap. In my experience, it seems that being labeled with something is black and white, but mm. your experience of it is very gray. And, you know, we, and that d depression has become such a, a term that's thrown around easily. So I can, we can, we can feel down. I can feel depressed and be depressed, um, for five minutes. It doesn't mean I have depression. And I think that's the big difference. So I think having depression is more black and white, but a, a temporary feeling of, of lowness, of sadness, of, of all the components that may make you define this as depression, you know, that, that can be fleeting and, and very gray. Mm, it can. And because of that grayness, it's sometimes difficult to like know where you are along that journey my first experience with true depression was um, after a major breakup when I was in my mid-20s. And it was a solid year where it, it was an incredibly miserable year. But I can't identify the point where I started to feel better in any way, shape, or form. And so it was a much more kind of fluid process. It was a much more flowing process. And then I had no idea how low I felt in 2018 until I was at this bar saying, I wonder if anyone would miss me if I didn't come back from this moment. So I had no idea I was even descending to that point until that question popped in my head. And I just sometimes think that because of that misconception about different issues around anxiety, depression, like this black and white thinking we've got these rules around what depression might be and not be, which stops us from even accepting it. It's like, well, I can't be that because of this. Yeah. That's always say, you know, trust your experience. Like I, I don't care the definition labels, like how do, how do you feel right now? Not how do you think about how you feel, but how do you feel? Right. So, so you mentioned the, the, the breakup in your twenties. So prior to that, had you had any sort of <laughs> depressive episodes or, or low feelings? Uh, I was an angry teenager. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's the same thing. No, uh, certainly, te okay. certainly teen angst, yeah. um, which was, yeah, I, 
That was that was a kind of a different time, yeah. but I certainly remember kind of one key moment of reading a book where there was this amazing character in it, and then overnight my personality transformed from this kind of teen angst, angry person through to like fully loving life because I started to embrace the values of this amazing character. Um, but I, I lived a very kind of unconscious life up until that point, you know, it's pretty bog standard narrative. Um, and then when I started getting into the personal development world, I was still to a certain degree unconscious, but with a growth oriented um, path. So I started chasing money and status and things like that, because I was just filling my life with skills. Hmm. So was it, was it your anger that first had you look into personal development? You didn't like being angry. I would say, I would say that's pretty spot on. Although I didn't know it. Okay. So you, the, the, you you knew you weren't you knew you could somehow feel better but you weren't sure if something was wrong with right now. Exactly, exactly. So I didn't take on personal development to solve anger issues. I took on personal development because I figured if I was uh like rich, loved on stage, adored, celebrity status, I knew if I figured if I was doing those things, then the anger would go away. Gotcha, gotcha. It's so, so funny because you know, just, again, from my own path, I hear someone talk about personal development and it's all inner work to me. I like, you know, you can do personal development and it's, all, it's about outward things. Like, wow, it's just so, again, just, again, uh, terms and what they mean to different people. So it's yeah. pretty interesting. So you, you have the breakup and you're, you're, so it's your first, you know, big emotional loss setback and it brings on these depressive feelings. And did you go straight to this trip to, to Bali to try to make yourself feel better or what sort of gap was in between there? No, there were several years between that. Um, and, and again, kind of externalizing things. I decided to get super fit, um, ran a marathon. I was doing CrossFit, got kind of really healthy, um, got really, really good at work got the opportunity to move to Los Angeles and set up an office there as the kind of VP of sales for this events company um, and started being kind of really successful at work. Health was great. Incredibly lonely, like phenomenally lonely. And I kept on trying to solve this loneliness through other things. So then I kind of moved to Denver. I was like, oh, well, if I can connect to nature, if I can go out into the mountains and I got a dog, I got a husky, right? And I started to kind of like, if if I can just live a certain life, and I was trying all different lifestyles, but if I can live a certain life, then I will be loved. And I had no idea at the time that I was doing this. It's only now that I can look back I knew I was doing these things. And then I actually lost my visa in the US and couldn't renew. Um, I didn't do anything wrong. They just changed the legislation. And that was just when I was like, well, uh, I, I tried to eat, pray, love my way to happiness by going to Bali and experiencing experiencing spirituality and try and connect with 
uh, like the, the spiritual culture and the yogi culture out there. And I got there and I was miserable and lonely again because I was still trying to solve my problems with an external force. And so I'd, I'd kind of go on these, you know, I'd meet some people that I went out there to meet and hated them. I hated everybody, which was, it, it's in, it's, it feels so strange to me now to look back on all I wanted was to solve this loneliness, was to connect with people, was to have intimacy. And I'm not talking necessarily specifically about sexual intimacy, but connection with people. But I hated everybody. I judged everybody. Was was the ED part of this loneliness? Was the ED in, in your life at this point? It was. It was. But I was certainly ignoring it. It, it wasn't kind of a a relevant a relevant thing that was coming for, up very often you know i was single so i wasn't kind of particularly sexually active so uh, i could certainly bury it and i think you know there was a good chance that i was pushing people away because of that experience right uh, and it probably became this cyclical thing where it was compounding on each other where the ed was forcing me to push people away but pushing people away was making the ed worse because of the psychological impact so like now i'm on a healing journey i'm kind of un unpicking a lot of these you could probably see it in the way that i'm talking and and hear it in the way that i'm talking that i'm and part of everything that i'm doing with the summit and don't fret as a whole is telling the story whilst i'm going through it rather than a look back. So looking back now at the times that you believed you hated everybody. Everybody. Why do you think that was? I think that certainly for me, but I think I see it in a lot of men particularly, is when they're in pain, the mask that we tend to wear is one of anger and blame. Because ultimately there were things that were going on that I didn't want to face. There were things that were going on that I didn't want to take responsibility for because they terrified me. So it was, in, it was significantly easier, I thought, to put the blame onto other people. So a lot of the hate came from, you're the reason that I'm like this. People like you are the reason that I'm like this. Were you one of the people you hated? Definitely. Okay. Absolutely. So you're in Bali, you're there with the goal of a spiritual awakening, some sense of healing yeah. and connection. And was this the first time you had had any sort of, you know, um, suicidal thinking? No, I don't think so. But it's the first time that I ever allowed it to be there. It's the first time I ever kind of accepted that this is what that was. I think the other times previously, it was very much a case of, 
Uh, don't be a wimp, Martin. Don't be ridiculous. Um, you're just being soft. And this was the first time I ever allowed it, allowed myself to say, is that, or at least ask the question, is that a suicidal thought? Is that suicidal ideation? And what what's even interesting now is thinking back is like, I still have no idea whether it was or not. What, like, cause I never once even considered actually doing anything. I never once considered putting in an action plan. I literally just asked questions like, I wonder if anyone miss, would miss me if I didn't come back. It was like, I know they'd miss me for a bit, but would, would it really matter, you know, in six months time or a year's time? But again, that, that, that idea of like having to classify it as a, as a, suicidal thought or suicidal ideation or a thought that means this, like almost trying to diagnose that thought is in, is in of itself a judgment on the thought. I don't know what it was. I know it was a transformative moment. Right. So, so you, you called it rock bottom. So was, were those thoughts your rock bottom and you realized I don't want to think these thoughts and that started to change or something else? It was a three month process. I would say, um, starting with that, because I was still, you know, I then went to Kuala Lumpur, Vietnam, Thailand, uh, the Philippines. Um, so it wasn't like I had that rock bottom and all of a sudden there was a, a brand new trajectory of awakening. We love the idea of a hero arc, but that's not how it happened. Um, but I kind of sat in that place for a good three to four months as I explored these amazing places. Um, and then it was only actually coming back from the trip. I, 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 and a calendar invite popped up in my, in my outlook for this weekly mindset call that was part of a, a coaching program that I was in to teach me how to better use LinkedIn for lead generation of all the things. Right. And it was this weekly mindset call that I never went to because again, I was like, I don't, I don't need mindset. You know, I'm a smart guy. I can think my way out of any problem. It's fine. But something made me attend that. That thing that the kind of idea of surrender, I'll do anything to feel better than this, made me turn up. And I didn't speak for the first few. And then eventually, one of the other attendees, uh, an older woman, told her story of loss because she just lost her mum who was very, very ill and in a lot of pain all the time. And she openly admitted to say that obviously she's massively grieving. She's going to miss her mom. It, it's very painful, but she's also slightly grateful that the pain has stopped for her. And I felt that took courage to be able to actually admit that you might be grateful that your mom's passed. There could be so much shame in that. There could be so much so for me, that was incredibly courageous. And then the very next week was the first week I ever opened up about any of the stuff that I was feeling. It took somebody else to share their story first. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, that, that's, I mean, I think that's common for humans. It's especially common for men. And, and that can be you know, a, a good aspect of, of like being in a men's group, that first person that shares something, then almost the competitive nature of men will go like, well, I, oh, you're going to feel, well, then I'll feel more than that. I'll share, you know, I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll go deeper. I've seen that happen. So that that's, you know, great. And um, if that's what we've got to do, then yeah, we'll take it. Yeah, right. It's, it's a way to use, uh, you know, what, we, what we've what we got. Yeah. 
why do you think we need to hit a rock bottom before we're willing to to do something about it? Well, that's, I mean, ultimately the dream is for that not to be the case because that's where we're going to lose a lot of people. You know, that I think that's that, that key moment is where men can get to. And some men don't come back from that. Well, for yourself, so, so you, you had years of anger, you had periods of depression. Like, why did it, why did it, why did you have to feel worse before you could see that I can feel better than what I'm doing? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've always kind of, I've had this feeling for a while now that as a society, we tend to try and think of the one thing, right? Um, like, cause immediately when you ask that question, I'm thinking like, what is like, what is the one thing that means that we have to have a rock bottom? What, like, what is the one thing that is stopping us from getting to that point or, and that's just my approach to answering that question. I think so many of us take that approach to answering a question to think of it's the one thing where in fact, it's often, often a compounding impact of multiple, multiple things. So when you ask that question, the truth is I don't have an answer to that question, but I have a lot of curiosity about that question. I have a lot of exploration around that question. And and I think that's kind of really important. I I'm, realize I'm kind of skating around the answer a little bit, but I often think that when you get a question as big as that, it's not a case of getting an answer, ticking the box and moving on. It's having consistent curiosity about that type of question. And you know, what, what I love in that answer is, is one of the masks for so many men. I said, I don't know. Hmm? And it, it's, it's fine, encouraged, allowed, approved to not know everything, to not have yeah. an answer for everything. Even if you've lived it, like I, you know, I, with my, my years of depression and, and multiple suicide attempts, people often ask me like, well, what's the one thing that turned it around? I, there wasn't. Yeah. If there's one thing, it wouldn't have taken me so many attempts and years to figure it out. It's not one thing. Right. Um, so maybe it is, maybe rock bottom and it's going kind to of, rock bottom is a thing that's different for everybody, but maybe it is, you know, the cumulative effect, all the little things or all the years of slow. It's finally, it, it's, you know, something clicks in us and it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be a rock bottom. It's just, it's a yeah. moment of alignment or the possibility, you know, it's for you, it, it might've been like that, the asking, like, is this so bad? Like, what if, what if I just disappear? What if I never come back? And did that like shock part of you to go like, Wow, this I I'm I might be worse than I realized, right? That it yeah. kind of force an awakening. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's exactly what you said as well. Because like I mentioned before, we love the idea of a hero arc and a hero's journey where uh you've got an obstacle over- overcome, you have that transformative moment, and then you come back stronger and slay the beast or defeat the demon. Um and I've had this argument a few times, but it, it it just doesn't feel that way to me. It doesn't feel 
accurate. So I can quite easily say, yes, for the, for the, the simplicity of conveying a story, I can say that I had this rock bottom at the rock bar in Bali because it's got that rock alliteration as well, right? It's had my rock bottom at the rock bar. But the truth is I was descending or not even descending, right? Flowing because you, it's not a straight descent flowing that way for many years. I sat there in that place for four to five months before finally kind of thinking, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I surrender to the possibility of other ideas that I don't have the answers. Started attending these group meetings was a a good three months before I even opened up to begin with. Then even after I opened up, I was incredibly vulnerable in that moment. I had a massive vulnerability hangover. So then it was another eight weeks before I even said anything ever again. So it, it is a journey. It is, it is a flow. It is ups and downs. And I think kind of breaking down this, this rhetoric of a constant descent and then ascent. It's, it's simple to understand cognitively, but it's just not resonant with real life. I think. Yeah. Well, again, in, we use the term, but we don't like really look at it. So an arc is, you know, gentle and flowing. It's not drastic. It can, and an arc can take long, long time, right? It yeah. can, you know, but, uh, and the hero's arc, it kind of begins at rock bottom. You don't see what got him there, right? Yeah. The arc is from that point. And, but we all talk about, we all want a hero's V, like everything sucks yeah. up, plummet to the bottom and then boom, right back up. Like, yeah, every, like, like, uh, you know, solving things, overcoming things. It's a V, you bang, you drop down to, to the problem and you bounce right straight up for, with the solution. And yeah, it, that's just false. <laughs> it just it's, is. It's completely false. But I, and I think that the belief around that kind of, I, like it really holds us back because we think it has to be that way. So if we're on an upward trajectory and all of a sudden we have like a bad few days or a bad week or a bad month, it's like, oh no, am I still on my way? Like this, this isn't, this doesn't resonate with the narrative structure. I don't understand yeah. this. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like my hero's journey feels like a freaking slinky being shoved down the stairs. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but um, so far in your journey, does anything stand out as kind of the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself? My favorite thing. Two, two favorite things, I think. One is that since that moment, and, and thanks to this group and that lady opening up, I've able to forge connections. And it really has been the core pillar of my healing has been connection. It's given me access to compassion. Compassion has led to empathy. It's led to a whole host of new friendships. It's led to a new relationship, which is absolutely nourishing. And I didn't think I had access to any of that. And even I I had a certain kind of background that I think a lot of people my age have, where we have parents that are, you know, slightly homophobic. So, you know, I had that upbringing. I would only ever hang around with straight white dudes. Now, all of a sudden, I've got 
friendships with gay men and um, transgender people, both men and women, um, gender fluid individuals, and understanding their story and having that level of compassion and has like there's a such a freedom in that where you go from this point of hating everybody to literally hating nobody. There's no judgment there anymore. And that transition happens really surprisingly quickly. And I love the fact that I've got so many diverse friends and, and their stories are absolutely incredible. So that's one. The second one is I'm really surprised with how much you can actually open up and be vulnerable and it be okay. That has been a absolute game changer. Don't get me wrong. I've still made like a few slip ups here and there. I remember my brother uh, was a manager of a football club and I was talking, to, I used to go watch every week and one of the substitutes was on the bench. And obviously this is a very kind of lads environment. Uh, they're good. They're good guys. Though there was none of that kind of locker room talk. They weren't those types of individuals. But I was talking to one of the substitutes, and he was asking me what I was doing, and I was talking about this summit and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, well, why are you doing that summit? And I mentioned that I had uh, my challenges with erectile dysfunction, and this guy was just like, did had no idea what to do with that information. So yeah, I kind of learned along the journey, you know, make sure that you know who's safe to talk to about certain subjects. But even with that environment, you know, a few days go by, like we're back to this exactly the same level. I might not talk about erectile dysfunction with him again, but we're still very, very good friends. I didn't lose, I haven't lost anybody in my life that is important by being vulnerable. Yeah. And just because it was, took someone by surprise and it was like a gut punch to them. So they're not comfortable yet. But yeah. you are. Yeah. So because someone else's discomfort, I would encourage you, you know, don't let that, you know, don't ju uh, judge your vulnerability. And, you know, it might have helped him because that'll sit with him like, oh, man, that that he was that guy was so brave or he dared say those horrible words. Right. It'll that'll stick with him more than, hey, how's the weather? Good game. Kind of, you know, bullshit level conversation. Yeah. Yeah. To go. And it's just two years ago. So Bali was just 2018 for you. Yeah, end of 2018. It was uh, uh, November, I think. So to go back there, you're having we won't we won't give it a term, but you're having you're having your moment of introspection, and you're sure. asking. So if I ask you those same questions now, d does your life even matter? So I'm taking a moment here because instantly I was like, oh, so much so. Um, but I'm conscious that I don't just react to the question for the sake of the narrative of the podcast. Because um, last week I was, I, I wasn't having kind of any thoughts, but well, actually, so last week I had a thought where I was actually walking with my partner. We were just coming back and there was a thought in my head that was like, oh God, this is really hard. This is really, really, really hard. Life is really, really hard. So I 100% still have 
thoughts like that, but they are just so infrequent. So what I can tell you right now is that my life matters to me more than I can even put into words. Beautiful. Has the ED changed at all since you've gone through healing and being willing to feel, not just think through things? Has it affected that at all? It's a good question. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Good days, bad days, good experiences, fearful experiences. Um, the truth is it's very much still the scariest thing that, that I have to do next. So much so that I've actually got a, a blood test here in my drawer, which I ordered about two months ago. The idea is it's a pinprick test. You send it off, you get results, you get testosterone, you can understand your diet because I'm attacking it both from a psychological perspective and a nutritional perspective, mm -hmm. not assuming it's one of the both, uh, one or the other. Uh, and it's just sat in my drawer. I haven't taken it yet. I'm still scared. But that's okay. That's yeah. okay. And so, so again, so we're talking about everything earlier. So it's not black or white. ED, it, it's more of a gray area. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. massively. Okay. Yeah, great. Massively. And, you know, obviously with that, I never thought that I would have uh, a relationship ever again. It's like, who's going to love me if I have this, this, this difficulty? I question my own masculinity. I question my sexuality at one point. Obviously, you know, if you, <laughs> if you ask a question of what it is to be a man, having that working is a big question. So I, that, that was tough. That was tough. But now at least I can accept that it's there. It does. My self-worth as a man has zero connection to, to that, to that experience. Yeah. Great. So healing is a continuation. You know, I work mm. with a uh, lot of people and they go, am I done? I'm like, like if you were <laughs> done, you still wouldn't be here. Like when you're like, so be, be glad that there's more to work on. Cause that's kind of, you know, uh, for many of us, like our, our, our point of being here is to, you know, to heal and to grow and to keep going. And as long as there's more to heal and to grow into, you know, you'll, you'll be sticking around for a bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. And there's so much freedom in the healing process as well. You don't, you don't need to find the end point. Do you? It's, that's the amazing thing. It's I, I feel absolutely no desire to get to a destination because I'm loving the journey of healing so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that was a, uh, a cliche I'd heard so many times and hated it. But like, oh, wow, I'm living that. Yeah. Enjoy the journey, not the destination. And I like, used to hate that. Like, ah, bullshit. You just, the point is to get places and get things done. No, no, no. And again, like, glad to be wrong. <laughs> yeah. And there's an argument to say that if you feel that way, are you on the wrong path? Are you on the wrong journey? Right. Yeah. You, are you I, rushing to get to the end of the thing you hate? <laughs> so yeah, you can do something exactly. else. Yeah. 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 And for me, I'm loving the, the healing journey so much that, and that, to me is the validation that I am on the right path. Mm, yeah. Beautiful. True. So w where can people get more information on the summit? Cause the, 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 the kind of the, the official launch, the live event of it, it, it has passed, but can people still catch up with the summit in some way or? Yes. Yes. Um, because one of the kind of benefits of any virtual summit is the content can remain evergreen. So our interview can last forever. 
right? So um, 100% people can get a, a free trial, which means that you get access to the summit as if it was the live dates. So you can get a four-day free trial, 20-plus interviews, really, really in-depth stuff with some bonuses included as well to make it a summit experience, which is at uh, don'tfretsummit.com. Cool. And was this experience with the summit a, a good one, bad one? Is something you would do again? Like, what, what are your plans for the future? That's a really good question. I've been doing events now for 15 years, and the weeks before an event have always been stressful. After virtually every event, I've told myself never again. Then that always changes. Right now, I have no idea. All I do know is that since I... I keep telling myself, okay, the interviews are done, right? And then I met you. And then I said, the interviews are done. And I met this military guy called John Foley, who has a ridiculously amazing story about recovery. So I'm not done. I'm not done in any way, shape or form. I just don't know what it's going to look like next. Great. Yeah. So that the process, the journey, I mean, if, if, when we can accept that we are in process on a journey, then, then anything you're creating and using to express yourself is going to be in this constant working state as well and that's okay yeah more than okay that that's the yeah. way it should be that's yeah. how it's designed right yeah the, the masks and the the, the, the freaking bullshit that you got the answer if you got it all figured out everything is complete in its box and wrapped up pretty yeah, i mean life can be hard it's but it doesn't mean it's not worth doing yeah Right. And that, that is the big thing that I could learn. Like, yeah, life, life can, there could be challenges and difficulties. Certainly can be, but it doesn't mean, all right, I give up, pack it in too much. Right. I've, I've keep finding, and you know, my experience, people I talk to life isn't harder than you are. Mm. So yeah. if that's what, if, if that's what guys can take away from hitting their own rock bottom, realize, Oh, I'm tougher than that rock I hit. <laughs> yeah right. exactly yep. exactly yeah. if you if we needed a kind of metaphor to speak to men it's like yeah be tougher than the rock yeah awesome well i really i really appreciate what you're putting out into the world i appreciate how open you are with with the emotional aspect with the ed aspect uh again things that many more guys deal with than will open up about Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I and I knew that as I was embarking on this journey, at one point I had to say to myself, oh, you're going to have to tell your story, Martin. You can't just expect everyone else to tell theirs. So yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm here. Yeah. And again, there's healing in telling your story. Yeah. I see that over and over. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks, Martin, for joining us. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, visit realmanfield.org for, for links to, to get to the summit to learn more about Martin, what he's up to. And, you know, uh, this, this time it's not a lie. Uh, this really is the last show of 2020. There's, there's no more time left. So um, have a fantastic Christmas, a great New Year's. I hope you're able to safely connect with friends and family. Uh, if you want to connect with me and explore how you might hit the ground running in 2021, glad to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you. Not a podcast, just a private conversation to help you get clear on what's, uh, what you want in your life, what's in your way, what you can do about it. Visit theandygrant.com slash talk. You can book a no-obligation, no-cost appointment with me. And in the meantime, be good to yourself. Enjoy the journey. It is worth it. Stay. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Contact us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. 
Learn more about author, coach, and healer Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would help us greatly if you gave a review wherever you are listening right now. It takes less than a minute and helps other people discover Real Men Feel.